Hello, my name's Nicole. Um, today we'll be reading from John chapter 17. Um, but before we do that, um, we will pray together, but we'll spend a few minutes opening up our devices or our um, books and finding the, the right spot. So John chapter 17. And now we'll bow our heads to pray. Dear God, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather today and the opportunity to meet as a community and to see how um, we are glorifying you. Lord, please um, encourage us um, together and really inspire us to continue to glorify you and to, to pray together um, that, that we might be able to do that. Um, and Lord, uh, now, as we come to listen to, to Joel, please open our hearts and minds, and um, please be with us. Amen. Okay, so we're reading from John chapter 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed to you those whom gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I have given them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. 
As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Wonderful. Thanks, Nicole, and good morning, everyone. How are we doing? I feel like I've got a, I feel like the um, number 11 batsman for Australia. We've made heaps of runs. Tom has clearly explained how the passage works, and I've just got like this free swing, so it should be a bit of fun, we'll see how we go. Um, But we're going to be looking at this passage, and we're going to particularly start here in verse 1, where Jesus has praise to his Father. Um, If you've been following, we've been working through this section sort of all term, and it's like this extended episode in the life of Jesus, where he has been sitting with his disciples, He has this meal with them, he washes their feet, he teaches them a whole bunch of things, and then finally at the end, he moves from instruction to intercession. He starts to pray to his father, which, if you think about it, is like amazing that we have these words on paper for us. Like we have part of a conversation between Jesus and his father. We get to read, I guess, we get to understand more of his heart for us through these words. And so, uh, unlike Tom, I don't have actions, but I've just got three points here that, for those of you who are more inclined to words rather than, I think, I can't even, I was trying to remember what they are, I can't remember. Um, So we're going to look at the big picture, we're going to look at, zoom in, focus on the apostles and what Jesus prays for them, and then we're going to zoom out and see what Jesus says for all of us believers. So firstly, what is... The big picture. What is Jesus firstly concerned about in this prayer? It is the glory of God. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Jesus knows that the hour of his death is fast approaching. Very soon he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be tortured, he's going to be executed, and he knows that the time has come. If you've been following through John, time and time again, Jesus has actually said, my hour has not yet come. And he's kind of concealed himself. He's hidden from the crowds, or as James would say, he's done his parkour Jesus and no one can find him. And yet now he's actually ready to reveal himself. He's ready to 
show his glory. So he asks the Father to glorify him so that he may glorify the Father. He's ready for the spotlight and he's ready to reflect it back to the Father. Now, glory is this word that we throw around a lot in church, and sometimes I wonder if we actually understand what we mean. When I sat down with James, he's like, can you define glory and illustrate it? And I was like, no, I cannot. Uh, I struggled to define it. And then, a few weeks later, a glorious event happened, or started, I should say. It is, of course, the Football World Cup. If you're not aware of it, it is a significant event. In fact, the original word for glory that's in the text, the word has to do with weightiness. The weightiness of, a, of an object, a substance of something, its significance or its value. And of course, the World Cup, they actually used the word glory to define sort of winning the World Cup, that that would be a glorious achievement because it only happens every four years. In its current form, now don't get me started about that, but in its current form, only 32 teams make the World Cup out of over 200. So it's a significant achievement to make it, and then to win it is, you know, next level, right? Like imagine winning the World Cup. Did anyone wake up this morning and watch the soccer? Okay, wow, I might be in the wrong church, but that's okay. You know, I'm from Melbourne. There was thousands of people in Fed Square, Amy Park. My cousins were there. I was like, that is the life. But I was like, I was praying for this morning as I watched the game. (laughs) But it's a glorious event because it's significant. It is special. It is unique. Thousands of people tuning in and... To win it would be a glorious... In fact, you could say if, play, if someone won the World Cup, almost in a way they are, they are glorified, right? Like their, their career is more significant. There's more of a weightiness to their reputation as they return home and they're celebrated. So for Jesus, as he heads towards the cross, he's ready for the spotlight. He's Because he, he knows it's going to magnify the glory of God. It's going to display the weightiness the significance of who he is and who the Father is. Of course, the question is, then how? How how does that happen? And we see that in verse 2, where Jesus says, For you, the Father has granted Jesus authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. We've seen all throughout John that Jesus has this authority, his authority to teach, and we see throughout this chapter that that Jesus has been given the disciples and he has authority over them, but particularly here, it's authority to give eternal life to the children of God. That is how he is going to display the glory of God because the cross is going to give eternal life to the children of God. And what I love in this chapter is that we finally get, I guess, one of the clearest descriptions of what that eternal life is. It isn't necessarily um, surfing on the clouds in white robes with harps in our laps, singing Kumbaya together, as exciting as that may be for some. No, this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and they know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is our eternal life. That is what Jesus has come to give us, that we would know him, we would know the Father. Not just know about them, not just know of them, but actually personally know this God. 
And I really hope and pray for those of you who have been journeying with us through this book, or if you're just visiting this morning, I encourage you to have a read through John. I just hope and pray that as we have been actually reading this, that we've been seeing who Jesus is, that our hearts will be stirred and go, you know what? I want to know him more. I want to know this Jesus more. The one who calms the winds and the waves, the one who turns water to wine, he speaks tenderly to those who need comfort. He teaches with authority. He heals the blind. Like he's done amazing things, and he's risen from, and he's raised Lazarus from death to life, and he's soon going to do that himself. And I just go, I want to know him. How amazing that we can know him forever. And that's where Jesus really comes back to his glory theme. The thing that's been running throughout all of John, and he's, he says, I've actually brought glory to God by being obedient to him. He's finished the work that was given him to do. He's, in a way, he's displayed the significance of God through his life. But the reason I put these two verses together, because in some ways, it, on one hand, we have Jesus sort of bringing glory to God, and yet on the other hand, we have Jesus sort of returning to a state where he is already glorious. He's heading back to heaven, to the presence of God, where he had glory before the world began. And so, in some ways, we see Jesus coming to display the glory of God, and he's brought that significance to light. But we also recognize that God is inherently glorious, that he had this glory before the world began, and that Jesus is, is longing to go back to that place, to be in the full glory of God, and to then shine that to us. And so I think for us today, even as we think about our own prayers, this is a helpful framework for us. This is a helpful thing for us to think about you know, when we're praying, what is the big picture? Actually, the big picture is the glory of God, that we would pray that his significance, his weightiness would be known, it would be displayed, it would be lived for by his obedient children, but also that as we pray that we would know that the big picture is about knowing God, and if that relationship with him, and that has to be the heartbeat of it all, to know him personally. So that's the big picture, the glory of God and knowing him. And it comes up time and time again throughout the rest of this passage. But then it really zooms in on the disciples, these 12 guys, that, or now 11, that Jesus has been journeying with while on earth. And I think the first note thing I want to point out in these verses was just this word gave. It actually appears all throughout the passage. Either it's give or given or gave. That the Father has given to Jesus. Jesus has given to the disciples. They belong to the Father, but he's been given them to Jesus. It really, I think, displays the, the, the heart of God, that God is a giving God, even within himself, that the Father gives to the Son. Within the Trinity, there is this generosity and this giving that is focused here on the disciples. That Jesus has continued. He's now given those words, what God has given him, he has given to Jesus, and they've obeyed. I think it's amazing that 
here we get quite a ringing endorsement of the disciples who throughout the Gospels we kind of read and we think, are they getting this? Are they missing something? And yet here Jesus prays, actually, they knew with certainty that I came from God. They had their doubts, they had their questions, they had things that they didn't understand, but in their heart of hearts, they knew with certainty. Thank goodness they did, because Jesus did make it quite clear to them time and time again. But Jesus prays for them, prays very specifically for these guys. And the emphasis that we see time and time again throughout these few verses is that they belong to Jesus. Which is really important for these disciples to understand, that they weren't just randomly picked people. They weren't just randomly chosen going, oh, actually, I think this guy might be all right, let's get him. No, that they were actually intentionally chosen by God for this time, for the task that is to come. And God has been glorified through them as they have obeyed, as they have followed, and now as they continue to, come, to follow him into what's to come. Because Jesus knows that what is ahead is actually quite a challenge. He says, I will remain with them no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. And so here we get the first sort of clear request that Jesus makes for his disciples. He says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus knows that the road ahead for these guys is going to be challenging. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be one of persecution and challenge. And so he asks his father that he would protect them. But it's not just protection for the sake of their physical security or their comfort. But it's protection for the sake of union. Protection that they would stay with God. Arif, protect them so that they may be one as we are one. And I don't think be one here has to do with like unity or togetherness. I think that comes sort of later on in the passage. But it's this one with God as Jesus is one with God. That we would be united with him. That is what Jesus is concerned about as these guys go on their mission to establish a church, to spread the good news, that they would be protected from the evil one so that they would stay connected to God. It's prayer not for their physical sakes, but for their spiritual one. Because that's what Jesus has done while he's been on earth. He says, I was with them and I protected them. He's the one that kept them connected to God because he taught them and he showed them and he sat with them. He was with them, but he is now going to go away. And his prayer is that they would stay connected to God. They would stay connected to the vine that they would keep in his presence. You know, and while we are the 12 apostles, so we can't sort of directly maybe apply every single thing in this section to us, the Bible does teach that we are called or that we are chosen and that we are invited into this relationship with God. And so we should pray for protection within this battle. We should be praying for each other that God would actually protect them in this walk, 
in this world, but it's protection that we would stay connected. Stay connected to him, stay connected to the vine, that we would abide in him, remain in him. Because the reality is this is something only that the power of God can do. You know, we sing that song here, Come Thou Fount. It says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So take my heart, Lord, take and seal it for thy courts above. Like that is what God can do. He is the one that can protect our soul for eternity. He is the one that will keep us connected and keep us close. And so we pray for protection. That the good shepherd is the one who holds us and no one can snatch us from his hand. So we cry out, we continue to pray for that protection. Because for these disciples and for us too, Jesus isn't with them anymore. He's going to be leaving and he's not here directly with us in person. But he's said a bunch of things and he's said all these things. He's been teaching them not to put a weight on them, not to sort of burden them with responsibility but he's taught these things and he's been saying all these things over the last few weeks so that they may have the full measure of joy. Not just any kind of joy, but they would have his joy. Not a moment of joy, but have the full measure of his joy, which is really important because these disciples are going to go on a mission and they're going to be hated by the world. That Jesus has given them his word and that they are now going to be hated for they are no longer of this world. Just as Jesus has been at odds with those who haven't believed him. And his prayer is not that, that we, his prayer is not that God would take them out of the world. Like he doesn't want them to leave. He doesn't want them to escape but he wants them to stay connected once again, to be protected from the evil one. And you can just sense the heart of Jesus here. He continues to pray for his disciples, for his friends, that they would be protected. He knows the battle. He knows the struggle ahead. For these disciples are no longer of the world. Just like Jesus, they have been given a different message and they've now been set apart. And this is what Jesus means by this word, sanctify them. To sanctify in this context means to set apart, to have something as holy or sacred or special. But it's not just set apart, but it's set apart for a purpose. It's not just set aside and put on the shelf to collect dust, but it's set aside for a purpose. Which we do all the time, right? We set aside certain plates for special dinners. Or we set aside... Um, certain nights of the week for a date night, for a special purpose. Or if you're like me, you set aside a certain pen for work and a certain pen for journaling. You know, they have a different purpose, but they're set aside for that reason. Here Jesus actually sanctifies himself. He says, I'm set apart for a purpose, which is to die on a cross, to rise again, to give eternal life to the children of God. But Jesus also sanctifies himself that they too may be sanctified, that his disciples would be sanctified. They would be set apart. They would be made holy for a purpose, to establish the church, to spread the good news. And so 
that we too, then later on, as believers, that we too can be sanctified. That we are called for his glory, called to know him, to believe in him. And that's where we get to this last section, where Jesus calls us to unite together, to know him and to display him to the world. And so this is where we zoom out. I wonder like how far out you have to go in this big picture. Imagine the disciples hearing this. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. I mean, obviously, like at least one or two of the disciples heard this prayer and then were able to record it. I wonder what they thought hearing this. Maybe a couple each. Maybe if it goes really well, there'll be a hundred. And yet in the mind of Christ, there is millions upon millions that he pitches as he prays this prayer for all those that will believe in the message of them. That for many of us here, he was picturing you as he prays this. An amazing, amazing way that the gospel spread from these 11, 12 guys to millions around the world. And his prayer is this, that that we may be one. Just as the Father is in me, in Jesus, and so Jesus is in the Father, may these people, may we also be in us, be in God, so that they, the world, may know that God has sent Jesus. It's a bit hard to change the pronouns and figure out who Jesus is talking to here. But Jesus speaking to the Father and his prayer for us is the same for the disciples, that we would be one. Once again, not necessarily about unity or conformity, that comes later on, but that we would be in God, that we would be in Jesus and be in relationship with him. Not just so that we would feel good either. Look at the last part of the verse. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. That we have this relationship with God so that we would be, we'd be able to display God to the world. That the world would know that Jesus is legit, that he is who he says he is. And this union that displays God to the world is one of glory. Jesus says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus has actually given us his glory. He has revealed his significance and his weightiness to us. But we are given that once again so that we would know him and be one with him. And when we get that, then we are brought to complete unity together. And I believe that the order is is actually really important here. That Jesus reveals his glory to us, his weightiness, his significance. Then we are one with him, we have this relationship with him, and then we are united together and we can do life together. Because I think often in churches we can go the opposite way. We think, oh, if we can just build relationships together, if we can get comfortable with each other, 
then maybe we can start to you know, have our relationship with God and that will grow and, that, and then God will do something significant amongst us and like reveal his glory. But I believe here what the Bible teaches is that actually the opposite. Actually God reveals himself to us. We have this relationship with him and then that is what unites us. The way I like to think about it is this. How many people recognize this photo or this game? Phew. It's like the greatest video game ever made. It's from 1999, Age of Empires. If I said to you, who wants to come to this corner after the service and chat about Age of Empires? Okay, yeah, one, fantastic, maybe two. Okay, cool, we'll have a great fun LAN party. It's gonna be sick, we'll have a really good time, we'll chat, we'll have a laugh, but there'll be three of us. Not kind of the thing that unites us all together. And I just do not think that this is the dream that God has for his church. A bunch of subgroups that are united together around relatively unimportant things like Age of Empires. Instead, actually, the church is built on Jesus Christ. He's the one that unites us together. We have a common faith with him, and so he's the one that we focus on. It doesn't mean it's wrong to talk about video games or it's wrong to talk about the socceroos or anything like that. Like, all that's great. But Jesus has to be the driving force in our relationships together. He's the one that unites us. He's the one that we focus on. And then, then the world will know that you have sent me and you have loved them even as you have loved me. Then the world will know. Because we've let the love of God saturate our lives and our relationships. But to, for that to actually happen, we actually need to understand the love of God. We need to let it overcome us and saturate us ourselves. You know, just have a read of the last part of that verse there. Even as you have loved me. Just have a read of that and ponder that for a moment. That even as the Father has loved the Son, so he has loved you. So he has loved me. So he has loved us, his children. You know, we understand that Jesus loves, or we understand that the Father loves Jesus. Right, that's like an easy one to get our heads around. Jesus is perfect. He's been obedient on earth. He, you know, he's glorious, he's amazing. And so when the Father's voice rings from heaven, it says, this is my son, my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased, we go, yeah, of course, like that makes sense. And yet, even as the Father loves the Son, so he loves us. Those who aren't perfect, those who don't have it all together, those who are prone to wonder, the Father loves you, the Father loves me. Just let that sink in for a moment, because that is our glory story, if you like. That is what gives us significance and weightiness in the kingdom of God. It's not our own work, but it's his love for us. We are loved by God, and he wants to be with us forever. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation 
of the world. Jesus was in a place of glory and he's come to earth for us so that we can have eternal life where we can know him forever. He wants us to be with him. That's why right at the start of the episode, he said, like, I'm going to my father's house to prepare many rooms. He's going there because he wants us to be with him. Jesus' desire is for you to be with him one day in his full glory, that you would see his full significance of who he is. We would see the complete picture. We will feel the full weight. We will know the total significance of who God is. And it will lead to an unending joy and praise as we together spend eternity with Jesus, knowing him. And if you this morning, if you go, I, I, I don't know what that looks like, I don't know what that means, we would love to chat with you. We would love to explore that with you and talk to you and read the gospel together and go, this is what it means to know Christ forever. But for those of us who do know Jesus, may we just burst out in praise and celebration this morning. Like really, look at this. The world does not know you. Jesus knows the Father. We know that the Father has sent Jesus. But Jesus says, I have made the Father known to them. And he will continue to do so. His work has not stopped. Jesus is going to continue to reveal himself to us so that we would know him and know his love. Right at the end of this passage, Jesus kneels, he prays with his disciples, and he prays for you. Praise for me. Praise for us that we would know him this morning. That would be in a relationship with him. That is what eternal life is all about. That is what Jesus has come to do for us. Not to give you a ticket to heaven one day, but so that you can know him today. That you can be in a relationship with him. Not just know about him, not just know of him, but know him personally. And particularly this month, December, like there's a lot happening. There's a lot going on in our lives. And I just want to pray this for us, that actually we would know God and he would continue to make himself known to us. That we can, because nothing compares to that joy of knowing him. So may the glory of God, may it shine bright in our lives and in our world. And we get the big picture to see his glory and to know him. But may God also protect us in this battle. May we keep us connected to him and set us apart for his service. And may we be one with Jesus, grasping the depth of his love, and may it lead to a joyful relationship with him, both now and forever. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have sent your son to live, to die, to rise again so that we might have eternal life. And God, we thank you that this eternal life is about knowing you. And so God, we echo the prayer of Jesus this morning that you would continue to make yourself known to us, that you would be at work in us, revealing your truth, setting us apart, that we may know you and live for your glory. 
and that all the world would see you. In Jesus' name, amen.